Hey, hey, uh, you got you got any of those plastic straws I can get? Straw police. Twen- okay, I'll, I'll take 20, thanks. Don't tell anybody. Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America and also available in your podcast apps. We're all up and down and all over. I'm one half of your host, Yael Ososki, broadcasting to you from the home office here in Vienna, Austria. And I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, David Clement, who is over there in Toronto. David, how goes it? Well, it's going well. It's going well. We're just a few days away from, uh, I guess, what is this, the the fourth reopening? I don't even know. Um, So I already got my gym classes booked. I can go back to restaurants. I am now happily triple vaxxed but very concerned about the conversations about what the next level of mandates are going to be so there's lots uh lots to discuss here yael and uh rumor has it that um you may have also joined the triple vax club although your your situation is a little different because your your draconian government is uh essentially mandating it by way of fine am i correct oh it's not only that uh basically if you do not get the vaccine, you get uh, the fines that are issued quarterly that could equal up to 6000 Canadian dollars, or about uh, 5500 U.S. And uh, if you do not pay those penalties um, within the, I believe, eight months, uh, you go to jail, straight to jail. Um, also, they've made it very difficult for travel. Uh, this is in the yeah, Republic okay. of, of Austria, so if... You would like to travel anywhere else and come home and not do a 10-day quarantine. Uh, you need to have the booster. Uh, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm starting to feel in it right now. I feel like I'm a, on the tip of a glacier. <laughs> Got the pressure behind my eyeballs, which uh, which happened to me last time, and I'll probably be shivering in me timbers uh, by tonight. But yeah, it's by uh, by hook or crook. They, they got me to get the jab uh, by the February 1st deadline. So yeah, I cut it pretty close. But uh, you know... Oddly enough, we don't cover too many European things, but I I was so much emboldened because you can probably guess I'm not a big fan of the vaccine mandate. Uh, here there is a uh, what we call liberal party, um, I guess the closer, maybe you'd say libertarian party. Uh, mm-hmm. The party itself has been very much in favor, uh, but there were four members of parliament who broke ranks to vote against the vaccine mandate, which I was very proud of. Uh, but unfortunately, okay. they joined the right-wing party, uh, so <laughs> the right-wing populists, uh, in, in going against this because they've been against all restrictions. Uh, but still, there's a glimmer of hope for uh, old-school liberalism and uh, people who are against government mandates. And uh, as far as I understand, that's a conversation coming to Canada. I do have a question, David. Mm-hmm. So this question is uh, something that I read on a very strange Reddit uh, forum I was wondering if it makes sense. Is it true at this point that if you are an unvaccinated person, there is legally no way for you to leave the country? Correct. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. And that, that is uh, because of the land border and then because of the airports, I guess. Yep. Yeah. And it includes boats. So you're, yeah, you're stuck. You're wow. Stuck here. Yeah. Well, it's, I guess Trudeau uh, got his wish. You I've know, his whole point was was about making life incredibly uncomfortable if uh, if you don't get the the GAB. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know it. I mean, JAB. Sorry, on, like, gap. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I was going to correct you on that. <laughs> is one. it a GIF or a GIF? It's definitely a GIF. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm uh, pro vaccine. I encourage everyone to get vaccinated, but at this point, I'm not sure what efficacy other um, mandates and measures are really going to do. Um, especially if there's not a carrot, right? Right now, it's just a stick. There's no real carrot. So, like, liberal leader Stephen Del Duca was like, no. Fully vaccinated should be three doses. Well, I think that's going to be an absolute disaster if that was the case for two reasons. Um, the first is it's going to take forever. Look, think about how long it took to get people to get to 80%, whatever, two doses. It's going to take forever to get to three doses. And you're, you're then going to punish everyone who's already done their part because it's gonna significantly limit the ability to reopen businesses. And so it's not just like, well, I'm, I'm triple vax, so what does it matter to me? Well, because the places that I want to go to, the gym, the restaurants, maybe a sports game in the near future, they all have staff. And if all of those staff are waiting in line to get their third dose and can't work, well, then things stay closed. Businesses go out of business. Um, so for me, it just seems not worth it. And so then it's, a, it's a supply question, extra. right? It's about getting them the third dose yeah, anyway. It, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it's just, it, it's such a headache. Um, it, it would be such a headache logistically that I, I cannot see, I cannot see a situation where it's feasible. And then they're talking about adding in, adding in, uh, the mandate for the liquor store and for cannabis stores. And it's like, why, what, I mean, is there any evidence to suggest that there is like some crazy level of outbreak at LCBOs? No, of course not. It's, it's just punishment. And I think the only way you could ever really get people on board with a third dose who don't already have it, because this is one thing I hate about the polling questions when they're like, well, uh, 80% of or 60% of Canadians are in favor of this measure in regards to the unvaccinated. It's like, well, yeah, but 80% of us are double vaxxed. And so when you ask them about a vaccine tax, it doesn't affect you. Well, I mean, sure, people will be in favor of it because it has no impact on them. Um, yeah, and so... It's, it's just a, a, a huge, huge headache. But I think the only way you could actually get people on board is if it was like a UK style. Once you have your booster, there are no rules. So we'll enforce a mandate, but for places who required you to be fully vaccinated, restaurants, bars, gyms, sporting events, whatever, there are no rules. No, no mandates, no capacity, no masks, no nothing. Um, and I would want the federal government to jump in and say, no testing requirements, none of that stuff in regards to travel, no potential quarantines. Um, that's the only way I think you could sell this and get people to be enthusiastically on board. And that would only um, be in unicorn land, David. You... <laughs> oh, yeah, it's just not possible. It's the, you're, you're, it, they're never going to do that. Um, yeah, But I mean, if you really wanted to demonstrate the efficacy of vaccines, which is the, the idea that we can vaccinate our way out of this, which I think is waning a little bit, 
uh, over time with new variants. Um, if you want to lean on the efficacy of vaccines and continue to beat the drum that that's the way out of this, well, then it has to actually be the way out of this. So let's talk about it with a specific uh, a specific news story. I know one that you've commented on uh, in recent days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, trucker convoy. So this is making a perfect yeah. uh, North American story for, for both of us. Uh, having to do with the the convoys. I don't know if you spoke specifically about this on TV, but I do know that it is of great concern on both sides of the border, more so uh, in Canada, as far as I understand, uh, with the VAC status of uh, the truck drivers. Uh, actually, uh, Pierre Poliev had a great meme uh, that he put up online of, uh, you know, who should we really be worried about, the unmasked uh, cabinet who's partying at the bar yeah. or the uh, truck driver <laughs> who's by himself. Uh, yep. But it seems like they're raising a lot of money. A lot of a lot of people are kind of getting involved in this. Uh, maybe some shadiness that's uh, starting behind the scenes. But yeah, overall, what do you think of all of it? Yeah, so when I first commented on it, it was just Canadian policy. So it was just our policy. It was not matched by the United States. And that was a huge problem for two reasons. One, it was going to significantly disrupt trade, um, something like $200 million a day would have been disrupted by virtue of the mandate. Now the US has gone ahead and done the same thing. So it's a bit of a moot point unless each country agrees to relax the rule. Um, but it just begs the question again, where is there evidence that truckers are more likely to get COVID in the operation of their job? I mean, the answer to that intuitively is no, it's a solitary job. You're, you're in your own truck, uh, for anything long haul with your own accommodation, you're not uh, you're you're not, you're not going to really come in contact with that many other people. And then if you are, you're coming in contact with people in places that require masks, and you're not allowed to go into places that require vaccination. So it's not like some trucker who's unvaccinated from the United States is crossing the border and going to a restaurant. Right? You're not allowed. So maybe they go to the grocery store or the corner store, but they have to wear a mask. And so it just seems like um, it just seems like almost symbolic, like we're not going to give them this exemption and we don't want to give anyone exemption. So this is what we're doing. And I don't know. I just it, it's not good. It is not uh, not good. Meanwhile, then, I mean, there's the there's, uh, the there's Freedom of- Convoy 2022 of uh, yeah. the truck drivers from from both sides and the uh the GoFundMe campaign currently stands at 5.2 million dollars Canadian. It's a lot of money. A lot, a of, lot money. of money. Uh no one knows where that money's going to go. Um you know, I I happen to like trucks. Can I get yeah. a cut? Uh <laughs> uh but yeah, this is this is ongoing. I think David, you put way too much faith in the people who craft these policies and um they do not understand risk in the the normal way they only see that they are asked to comment on it a lot on tv and they have a lot of power and they can kind of say what they want and uh i think that that's that's really what it is none of it makes sense nothing makes sense because nothing works anymore yeah i mean you know it just seems like nothing is being done uh like no one is sitting there going is there, can we justify this beyond, well, the rules need to apply to everybody. Um, 
that seems to be the justification, right? Anybody else coming into the country uh, has to be vaccinated. And so I guess the perception is, well, we can't allow for any exemptions. But outside of that, what is the justification for it? Like, is there data? I mean, maybe there is, but we should probably know if there is, right? So maybe maybe truckers, for some reason that I cannot think of, are are like, maybe this is a problem. Maybe there have been outbreaks connected to this and it's reactionary in that sense. I don't know. If there was, I would hope that the government would tell us, but they have not. Seems like more a class thing, but uh, who am I to uh, throw stones? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this, and, uh... the, and the, the, the debate that this has spawned online is so toxic because, I mean, there are empty shelves. They do exist, um, but it's not like there's a... a famine coming it's not like our our food supply is is actually going to be um impacted where canadians on mass are going to be in food insecurity but then at the same time you have um you have liberal mps tweeting that this is just not happening they're like no it doesn't exist these shortages don't exist it's not it's not happening look at my grocery store in wherever and they'll be like wow grocery stores are full here so everyone must be lying it's like well maybe you're both wrong (laughs) well i don't know because everybody i know david absolutely everybody i know voted for bernie sanders so obviously (laughs) i know that it's true billionaires 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 i am not a billionaire so that's uh the the often often invoked uh, sentiment that uh you know yes. just because you live in a large country it doesn't mean that the the truth is just those who are around you and uh that's no, of course the elite uh you know bubbles are, are having their kind of own problems um so there's a lot of other things that i know we want to get to throughout the rest of the program david uh just to remind people that they can listen to our program uh on our website consumerchoiceradio.com if you're listening on the radio either on saga 960 up in canada if you're listening on the big talker network down in wilmington north carolina you can also download our podcast version on all of your devices including podcasting 2.0 devices and uh, applications, things like Fountain and Breeze, uh, which mm-hmm. I would very much recommend, where you can also send little Satoshis, pieces of Bitcoin. Uh, we can talk about that a bit later. Mm-hmm. And um, we're available. Please give your rankings, if possible. And uh, then we're going to be back. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going to happen in uh, in Ukraine and what's happening with Russia yeah. and, and all of that. This is definitely going to impact a lot of people, consumers, uh, friends of ours, colleagues. Uh, We'll be back with uh, much more of that here on Consumer Choice Radio. And we are back on Consumer Choice Radio. not necessarily a consumer topic, but it, how could we not dive into what's going on in Ukraine? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, seems like the start of what could potentially be very problematic. Um, a lot of debate online on on the Twitters. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll open it to you. What's your What's your take here? I mean, you are in the European continent so maybe you have some insights that uh those of us in in the lockdown gta may not have 
Yeah, I'm pretty far from, uh, still a bit far from that, obviously. It's still in the sphere of uh, Austrian influence. Uh, but yeah, this is, um, you know, there are different ways to look at it. We can talk about sort of the politics and how it's working out and shaping out in the press conferences and the number of troops and who's being stationed and whatever. I wanted to focus more on just general public opinion and reaction because you had mentioned this. Uh, obviously, social media is how we're digesting much of this. It's how much of the debate is is kind of being handled. And it's it's a very strange trap for those of us who have been online and who have been active in following military engagements or wars or conflicts and uh, keeping our eyes on government and uh, sort of what they do. And it's fairly interesting to see, you know, much of a divide. And I wanted to to maybe highlight uh, there's you know the general I would say I don't like to use this term but the general isolationist uh, American view is we can't get involved it's another war you know cost too much money too much blood and treasure we just got done fighting Afghanistan Iraq yeah and there's yeah none of that uh, the other view is sort of like well Putin is an evil man blah 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 we definitely got to do something and that that's just within the American sphere. And then there's the internationalist aspect. And of course, we know people in Ukraine. There are young people that I know who are drafted to be in the military and, you know, have to show up and <laughs> essentially have to put on the uniform and sling a gun over their shoulders. So it's it's very different stakes for all involved, but it still seems like a bit of cosplay, unfortunately, which is what uh, I'm I'm more saddened by. Yeah, I mean... Generally speaking, I think the the arguments I'll say from folks in our world, um, so the Ron Paul types who have kind of long argued against intervention, are largely forgetting or largely missing the fact that most of those arguments don't apply for what is going on right now. And I'll walk you through a couple of the examples. So... The first was like the war on terror was a very weird concept of a war on an idea. Can you bomb an idea out of people's heads? The answer to that was no, obviously. The interventions in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere obviously um, made the issue of extremism worse. Um, But you also weren't going to war with the state. You were going to war with a loosely affiliated group of people who had an idea. Um, So it's fundamentally different than attempting to protect the sovereignty of an allied country. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean I'm in the camp where I'm like, yes, the U.S. should deploy troops, Canada should deploy troops, and they should be prepared to essentially go to war with Russia. No, I, I don't think that. But I do think there has to be some effort to at least legitimize some sort of defense against a possible Russian invasion. Um, One, because it's the right thing to do. And two, what you do here sets a precedent for Taiwan, which I think is an even more pressing situation, where on a weekly basis, um, the CCP and their puppets regularly talk about invading Taiwan. Um, And so, yeah, it's, it's a complicated time. But I think that the arguments... Let me do a bit of defense quick. A little bit of defense for this point of view. Because I think this is is the problem when we're talking about international relations, um, talk of invasions, troops, NATO, all this kind of thing. Most people view these issues through their very national lens. 
as in why should you know the guy who lives down the street from me who signed up at the local army recruiter's office have to go fight a war in a country most people could not point to on a map and this and that and for Americans I very much understand because that's kind of been the US empire history throughout the last 100 years is uh, going to weird places with military and it's you know their entire television shows just about this and the seal teams and what they're doing so I understand that but this kind of general what I, what I don't like from that aspect is the the sort of more ignorance of kind of what is happening why it is a threat why people would be concerned it's not as if people are making it up uh what has been happening in ukraine is not new it's been happening for you know close to eight nine years and people are very worried there people have had to move people who were once living in one country are now living in a totally different country uh hello (laughs) this is something that people should know a lot about and i think that cavalierness is is something that is a bit problematic and people have to, to kind of understand and you know is it going to be canada sending in troops probably not will it be the u.s i don't know maybe it's just special operators and everything else and maybe there's so much that's being done already covertly secretly that all of this can be avoided anyway well yeah i mean or you could just do what the germans have done and send five thousand helmets <laughs> it's like thanks guys it's like, oh, we're going to say... As long as it's those pointy ones that they had in the First World War, then we're good. They still have those, or something similar. They haven't really changed the military uniform. Well, ceremonially. Yeah. Ceremonially. Well, yeah. I mean, you saw that from Merkel's, like, departure, where they did Daoud with the, with the symphony, which was really cool. But it did make me a little uncomfortable seeing those helmets again. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's... Uh... That stuff is weird. And, you know, the U.S., um, I've seen, you know, obviously we've been sending the the U. am sorry, let me rephrase that. The U.S. federal government, of which I am not a part, (laughs) has been sent. This is where the collectivism thing gets a bit weird. It's like, well, we've been sending them guns. It's like, well, you haven't done anything. Uh, So certain uh, parts of the apparatus of the federal government, the military, have been sending uh, so-called lethal aid uh, probably, you know, tanks, weapons, guns, you know, whatever it is. So that has been happening for some time. Um, during the Obama reign, it was not as explicit. You know, back then it was communications equipment and whatever, probably a lot more. I, it's just not fun to be in a situation where we're talking about people's lives and people's territory. And, uh, you know, there's just kind of this sniping that's going on. And there are a lot of players, you know, there's a lot of stuff about energy and, pipelines and what's happening with Germany and Russia. And there's this stuff gets a bit too complex. And unfortunately, I I think we're just going to find some kind of quagmire. And I don't think the U S president is necessarily up to it. And he's not up anyway. (laughs) No, I don't, I don't think he is up to it. I mean, would it be better under Trump? Probably not. (laughs) Probably not. That's not the argument I would make. Um, and that's not an anti-Biden thing, by the way, because I think him 20 years ago, he would have been totally on it. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, Because he's yeah. generally been a big war hawk, and he's been very involved, and he was on the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, very involved in these topics, met a lot of people. Uh, but, you know, the people running his, in his campaign are the Twitterati. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, this is the folks. thing is like, okay, if not now, what is your um, – what is your – what is your point where you actually engage? Right. 
Is it just the regions, the two particular regions of, of Ukraine that you're fine if they, if they go? Um, is it the whole country? What if it's another country? What if there are... One thing I heard about um, the eastern part of Ukraine, like Donetsk and Luhansk uh, in the eastern part, is that uh, actually a lot of, there have been a lot of Russian operations to get people citizenship. Uh, so there have been sort of uh, people who've been being able to get Russian citizenship uh, fairly easily, and, and people have been very much advocating for that on the Russian foreign ministry side. I mean, that's not suspicious. Which will <laughs> at some point be like, oh... You know, something happens. It's like, well, we got to take care of our citizens who happen to be across the border. I mean, yeah, just imagine if Mexico was just giving citizenship to people in Arizona and New Mexico, so that they were Mexican citizens, and then troops were mobilized at the border, and the government expressed significant interest in annexing New Mexico and Arizona, like. I mean, it wouldn't be a problem because the U.S. is the largest military in the world, but imagine it wasn't. Would they be looking elsewhere for assistance to stop that from happening? Probably. So it's like, I mean, this this goes back to the empathy side where it's like, I don't blame the, I don't blame people in Ukraine looking to the alleged leader of the free world and saying, hey, Sleepy Joe, can you throw us a bone here and help? Because we don't know how this is going to go. Now, funny that you mentioned Mexico. How familiar are you with the Mexican-American War? Very, very, very little. I know that most of that territory used to be Mexico, so they would have some sort of territorial claim um, in theory. In theory. So what's interesting about it, uh, because you mentioned about the border and stuff, um, so this is like 1846, 1848. uh, What's happening across the U.S. is you have expansion of the union you have free states you have slave states you have all of this and at that time uh what is today texas part of that was mexico then there was this independent texan republic and essentially what really sparked it in terms of a singular event not that that really happens but what what happened it was like um essentially there was this disputed territory uh between the so-called u.s and you know then spanish american empire mexico the derivative. And there was apparently a Mexican cavalry that had crossed the border and shot a bunch of U.S. soldiers that therefore invited the U.S. to just totally not just go back and take revenge, but (laughs) invade the whole country (laughs) and take all of the land. And it's this kind of, all it takes is a point in time, uh, uh, is it flash in the bucket? I don't know what this expression is, but all it takes is one moment like this, which could be real could it, maybe it happened maybe it didn't happen we don't really know but you know what happens today is that uh, the u.s is as big as it is and mexico you know that border is where it is now and unfortunately with the online sphere the number of people who are engaged in online warfare whether they be from russia ukraine or the u.s it's all going to be very muddy very quick and anything could happen at any moment yep yeah yeah i mean uh, I don't know. It's uh, it's not good. It's it's not good. Uh, and I remember, I'll, uh, since I we can use this as anecdote hour, um, I remember being at our, our colleague uh, Fred's birthday many years ago mm-hmm. uh, in Lviv, Ukraine. Uh, so Lviv used to be a, a very Austrian-Polish town, 
and uh, now it's in the western part of Ukraine. And I had actually met a bunch of uh, Ukrainian soldiers. Okay, interesting. And uh, was just asking them a little bit and uh, told them. I mean, I, for them, I was American. I didn't want to flash my Canadian passport <laughs> with them because I then I had cred, and they're like, "Oh, thank you so much for the help." Yep. And uh, we were talking even back then, you know, about weapons coming from the U.S. and and I asked them, it's like, well, what are you guys doing? What, what uh, it's like, well, we're being deployed to the Eastern Front. My good God, this is World War II terms. I'm like, okay, so where are you guys come from? They're like, oh, from all parts of Ukraine. I'm like, well, do you guys all communicate? It's like, yeah, but we speak a mishmash of Ukrainian and Russian. And um, that guy, he actually came from, uh, I think, Belarus. There's a bunch of guys from other countries, and we're all in this battalion. Uh, I have some very good mementos of, from what I can remember of, of, you know, it was at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> so let's, let's be honest. As the night progressed, um, the details may have got a little blurry. Yeah, but they did give me a nice little patch from their uniform that I still have today oh, and the cool. ribbon, which is a cool story. But, you know, all of that was years ago. And one story they told me is that they actually ran out of bullets. So they had like their target practice. And it's like these guys weren't even equipped to go to war because they didn't have the bullets. And that's what really they were waiting on um, from the ministry and everything else. But. Yeah, Ukraine. What uh, what a time! I hopefully we'll be able to talk about this in a in a few months, and it will have been much nothing. Yeah, at all. But yeah, hope, hopefully <laughs> it is that. not the spark of World War Three, and we have another like Franz Ferdinand. Um, was that the name of the guy who was killed? It sure was. Yeah, okay, was I got Franz it right. Ferdinand. My high was... my high school World War One history held up. Woo. <laughs> yeah, so he he was uh the, he was the uh essentially the heir to the Austrian throne. He was murdered in Bosnia by the separatists. So, uh we won't have any uh history lessons, but we will have much more coming up on Consumer Choice Radio. You guys keep tuning in and we'll be right back after this. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Apparently, a dance party uh, today. <laughs> welcome back to the program, uh, David. We we caught up a little bit on the uh, Ukraine situation. Uh, talked about some some vax uh, mandates and what's happening with the truckers. Um, a lot of supply chain issues, obviously related to that, which I know you discussed on the television uh, over the course of the last week. Uh, basically, actually, let's let's talk about that a little bit. So you were a uh, guest host on the news forum uh, channel um, on CounterPoint. So what was it like uh, being that uh, substitute TV guy? Uh, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, it's it's different to be on the other side of an interview like that, which are shorter than what we do on the radio when we interview people, because it's usually no less than 15 minutes and often longer. Um so it's weird, and it's also weird because I'm usually the other. I'm on the other side. I'm the one doing the You're answering yakking. of the questions. Yeah. So to not ask, to to ask the questions and not answer them uh, was a lot of fun. Um, also fun to be in studio, um, have the uh, the makeup person make me all pretty for TV, um, have a teleprompter and all of the formalities that go along with that. So yeah, it was great. I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, makes me wish we had like a studio that we could we could do our we could do a uh, our own version. 
<laughs> well, on the Consumer Choice Tower, um, that will definitely be true. Yes. Uh, so one question on the script, is that something that you worked with a producer on? Did you just do it on your own? How did that work out? I wrote it in regards to like the opening, um, and then it's just plugged into the teleprompter, so it's all there. Um, and the closing, I actually just winged it. Um, just winged it, and it, it worked out. So, yeah, I mean, I could tell because I know you, but... Uh... I don't, I don't think the viewers could tell. <laughs> but I like, so I, I worked in, in TV news for a bit. Um, nothing important, just answering phones, taking notes. And um, I did help a lot with the, the script of the evening newscasts. Oh, nice. And uh, it's interesting because uh, you ha- there's a specific language you need to use for teleprompters. It can't just be natural flow of writing. It has to be, you know, you're writing for speaking. Uh, which which I find very interesting. Did you have any edits uh, based on on that for what you had written up? No, because what I did is I wrote it, and then I saw you. If you there's a feature in Word, giving away my trade secrets here, where in the review section you can have it read out loud to you, and that's how you can very quickly see whether what you're writing reads well or if it sounds good um, when spoken. And so I did that as a means to make sure that what I was saying did not uh, didn't come across as it was like an op-ed. It was it was more actually speaking. Yeah, I've I've had uh, I mean not similar. There's the WordPress. Whenever you write a blog post, uh, there's the readability score. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine is always in the far red, being like, "Bro, this is too complicated. <laughs> Tone it down to first grade level, please." <laughs> Yeah, how do, how do we simplify this as much as possible? And how uh, did you like having an IFB, uh, the sort of uh, cues from the producer? Because you, you could see this kind of earpiece. That's what all the television anchors wear. What was that like? Well, my ear is too big for the earpiece, so that sucked. Um, but it was it's interesting because you can get corrections in real time. So, like, if your eyes are drifting, because you've got to stare at the camera. You can't be looking at the screen where the guests are. So your eyes will start to drift naturally because if you're having a conversation with someone, you want to look at them. Um, so just to have that like, oh, remember your eyes. <laughs> so it could be fun. And I could see how if you were doing something more long form um, where you're really getting into the, the nitty gritty of an issue, you could have if someone had like more editorial say on the producer side, you could have them be like, no, follow up on that. Like. What do they mean by this? Yeah, ask them that question. Yeah. Go with that. Yeah, yeah, double down on this. Like, no, 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 don't. That's not a good enough answer. Like, wh- why do they think that? Things like that. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. I mean, I did one interview with the CBC years ago where I was in Toronto in one of their, like, anchor studios doing the interview with CBC and PEI. But I couldn't see. I had all the setup and the earpiece, but I could not see the host. Oh, yeah. There was no screen. And that was probably the most difficult interview I've ever done because not only can you not see yourself, you can't see the person you're talking to. And so you're answering like you're on the phone, but then you got to remember you're not on the phone. <laughs> so your body posture and language and how you're moving your hands and all of that stuff. Um, so it wasn't and quite there's a bit of delay because it's always a satellite, right? Yeah, it's always basically. like a three. I mean, it's worse than a zoom delay. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you gotta you gotta have that delay in case I say anything inappropriate, and you gotta cut it. <laughs> the swear word delay. <laughs> yes. 
So I used to also help out with the spots. So um, there was a local radio host, uh, Dom Giornano, I think is his name. So he's actually still in Philadelphia. And he would do spots on the Bill O'Reilly show. And uh, he'd come into our studio, uh, Fox 29, and and basically I'd have to help, you know, set up and I'd give him any notes and stuff like that. It was always interesting because it's super old school. It literally was a a telephone connected. (laughs) That's how they would do the cues. Uh, but they have the camera. But yeah, you just stare into a camera. You have the earpiece where the person's yelling at you, but you, you're just looking into a lens. You have no idea what they're saying or what they're doing with their body. You can't really tell their expression unless you're really listening to their words. And it is one of the harder things. And I, I don't understand why they don't have a screen. I don't understand that because it's pretty simple to do. I, I guess it's just the tech. Well, at the very least, just to be able to see yourself, right? Like oh, that, but then you'd be distracted. Come on. Seeing... That's what we know about selfie cameras. Yeah, but then... <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. But you, you can at least, like, correct your posture or, like, make sure you're not talking with your hands too much or whatever quirks you're... You usually, like, I don't know. If you're like me and I'm on the phone, I'm, like, pacing around my main floor. My hands are flying all over the place. Like... It's 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 completely unregulated, and so when you don't have that camera on you, it can be tough to uh, control your limbs. Yeah, I figured I would give people a little bit of uh, how the sausage is made there on, on uh, TV. I think it's always very interesting because um, there's a, a lot of different ways of doing it, and it's it's a totally different world, and you can probably tell why I did not go into television news full-time, um, also because I did not want to shave my beard. Got a face for, got a face for radio. Face for radio. Yeah, they're not. Uh, they're not big on beards for anchors or news folks generally. Is there anyone who's on TV prime time who's got a beard? Um, anchor. I guess not Wolf that... Blitzer did for a time. Yeah, not that I can think of. I mean, in Canada, Tom Mulcair is always a guest on the various political shows, but he's a guest, um, so it's different. Yeah, yeah and I also can't he's had anchor. it his whole career, so it'd be kind of weird to shave it all of a sudden. Well, he would. I would bet you people wouldn't even recognize him. Yeah, I mean, we can barely tell his stances anymore, so that's a whole other thing. Well, he, uh, I, I mean, yeah, but <laughs> to his credit, he seems to be pretty pretty middle of the road these days. It looked like party politics um, it drifted him in a direction that was maybe not his actual real viewpoints, which is interesting. That, like, obviously he's the leader of the NDP. That's going to shift him to the left, but... When I whenever you hear him talk on TV, I I find myself in many instances going, oh, I mean, he's actually not wrong there. Well, he's a good political operator. He uh he was in Quebec politics as well for a while. He was a cabinet minister, and he uh he he knows how to. He was actually my uh my MP there for a while. Didn't vote for him, but um, <laughs> uh, very strange that he he did get elected. I was in a fairly uh, largely Hasidic Jewish uh, district in Montreal. But, uh, yeah, it was the one, I think, one or two places on the island of Montreal that, that got NDP. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, back in the day. Very Canadian politics. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there's a couple other things, David. I know that um, there are a couple papers that you've been writing up, some articles. You wanted to talk to us a little bit about plastics or perhaps a little bit of um, what's happening with the chemical side because while all this stuff is happening, while there's all the craziness, with COVID, there are bad regulations that are being passed. There are some terrible narratives about everyday consumer products that are being uh, sort of doled our way. 
Uh, what's your take? Yeah, so there's two. We talked about PFAS before. I mean, it's not the sexiest of topics, but it's relevant because it impacts a lot of the things that you buy. But there's a great review out by the Center for Truth in uh, in science basically saying, like, hold the phone on overregulating this stuff because there's not enough information really to draw many accurate conclusions about exposure and risks and all of those things. The risk and hazard conversation we've been having before. Um, so that's one. And then the other one is I found out on Christmas Day the government released their um, their rules for single-use plastics, and they are hilarious. They honestly look like they're from a Monty Python skit um, where, like, the exemptions are uh, – if you can – a plastic bag isn't single-use – if it can carry 10 kilograms of weight, 53 meters, 100 times. And it's like, how on earth did we get that? That's the metric. Or like single-use cutlery is not single-use if it can be in 83-degree water for 15 minutes. <laughs> it's well, like, we, we still have the intern who's in the pool right now with uh, with like, the cutlery. Can you, can you just imagine like some, some intern is like, okay, hold, let me got, we got the water temperature right Okay, I'm going to submerge it. And he pulls it out after like 15 minutes and one second. Oh, still good. It's good. <laughs> like, it just is like, what? what is the deal here? Um, it, yeah, just really strange. I mean, if you want to buy plastic straws, you can. But you have to buy 20 at a time. And the store's not allowed to like allow you to see them. You have to ask for them. So they can't be like facing the public. It's almost like a black market test where it's like, you got to know to ask the guy to pull it from behind the shelf. <laughs> it's like wow. I mean, it's uh, not as bad as the straw police uh, in Washington D.C. Uh, we played that clip a while ago. Yeah, <laughs> not that bad, but still pretty bad. Ah, yeah. It's just what are we doing, guys? What are we doing? Um, so I mean, maybe maybe I put too much faith in these folks. The idea that they're going to be competent, but it's. Uh, Oh, there you go. He's uh, he's starting to read into it, folks. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and for a lot of this stuff, unfortunately, I think that's one reason that we exist is much of this is never highlighted. And, you know, people just don't hear about it until it's too late, until you are there at the restaurant and uh, essentially you need to ask the guy for the hidden door where they might have the plastic straw hidden, you know, or something like this. <laughs> it's like the, any of these uh, cool bars, uh, hidden just speakeasies going, hey. in New York. Hey, hey, uh, you got, you got any of those plastic straws I can get? Straw police. 20? Okay, I'll I'll take twenty. Thanks. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, you know we saw a lot of push a couple of years ago for bans on styrofoam, and mm -hmm. um, you know we yeah. saw a lot of that. And actually, it's 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 interesting that we've had you know the the debate about some of this that's popping up again. Even after all these people are ordering foods to their homes, like constantly, where all these to-go containers, and if they actually had to follow any of these environmental rules on many of these to-go containers, I mean, these, I think the restaurants would crumble because they have to pay like twice as much for this stuff. I know, and yeah, they are more expensive, but I know I mentioned this before. Um, a restaurant near us, which we order frequently from, switched over to these cloth bags. And over the pandemic, we've probably ordered from them 25 times. So we have 25 of these restaurant-branded cloth bags that I, I can't use it as a garbage bag because it's going to leak. 
if anything wet goes into it. And so it's like, what do you do? You just have 25 of these branded restaurant bags that you end up throwing out and you never reuse to the same amount um, or you never reuse enough to make them environmentally advantageous. And it's like, why are we doing this? Why? Advertising. Why are we? Yeah, <laughs> you would, in the dump where they end up because I, I have no use for them and I have to throw them out. At least with the plastic bags, I can reuse them uh, for garbage bags, which is what we do. It's like, Man. Well, there are some market alternatives to this or some market solutions. Um, the grocery service that I use that's online, um, you have to pay for the bags, obviously, but if you give them back, um, then you get that money taken off. Oh, I so, mean, that's uh, cool. There we go. Zero transaction there if you're able to, mm. just to get rid of the bags. And uh, I would happily walk around town with uh, any of these bags to help promote the business. But uh, again, I, I, when you have 30 or 40 of them, yeah, I think that's uh, it's gone a bit far. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So fun time, David. Consumer Choice Radio. You guys keep tuning in. Uh, plenty more to come for next week. Hopefully some guests on for the rest of the month. Uh, yeah. Until next time, David. Yep. Until next week. I said I don't know why.